You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Vera Bittner, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. In an ideal world, the physician would follow your patients to the supermarket when they go grocery shopping, or even to the restaurant when they go out to eat, and help them make prudent decisions about what to eat and how much of it to consume. But since neither doctor nor patient would find this an appetizing proposition, we'll learn more about key types of dietary fats and specific foods to be recommended to our patients. We'll discuss the relative benefits or detriment of monosaturated oils, polyunsaturated oils, and saturated fat, and also talk about seafood, shellfish, and other dietary supplements. Our guest is Dr. Wahida Karmali, who's the Director of Nutrition at the Irving Institute for Clinical and Translational Research at Columbia University Medical Center in New York. Dr. Karmali, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We certainly appreciate you joining us and talking about nutrition. And as you know, there's a lot in the medical literature and a lot in the lay literature about nutrition. Some are facts and some are not facts. So hopefully you're going to help us understand what the real data is regarding nutrition. I'd be glad to. I know there's a lot of interest in patients and physicians asking, you know, which oil should I be using or which oil I should be recommending to my patient. And we know that fat is a key dietary factor that is associated with the risk of coronary artery disease. And we have studies that have shown that dietary patterns that are high in saturated fatty acids, cholesterol, increase the LDL cholesterol levels. And uh, we do have uh, recommendations from the National Cholesterol Education Program. They have reviewed the evidence. And so now we have what's called the Therapeutic Lifestyle Changes Diet. This is what we need to recommend to our patients to cut back the intake on saturated fatty acids and have a moderate consumption of fat. The rest of the fat will be distributed between the polyunsaturated fat and the monounsaturated fat. For the average physician who may not feel like they're an expert at nutritional counseling but may have an idea in terms of total fat percentages and the current guidelines. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the current guidelines say that total fat intake should be somewhere between 25 and 35% of calories and saturated fat less than 7%. Is that correct? That's correct. Along with saturated fat, we do need to talk about trans fatty acids because we do have a lot of evidence that trans fatty acids increases LDL cholesterol but also lowers the good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol. So we need to keep in our minds that both saturated fat and trans fatty acids have to be lowered in our eating pattern. Yeah, so with that said, uh, if you were going to give the doctors a simple message on how to tell patients what types of things have trans fatty acids in them, how would the patient be able to identify items with trans fatty acids? Yeah, let's first look at the saturated fat intake. You know, saturated fatty acids come from animal food, you know, your piece of meat that's marbled with fat or the, the fat under the skin of the chicken or the fat in milk and cheese and butter, they are all high in saturated fat. In addition, we do have some plant foods like coconut oil, palm kernel oil that are also very high in saturated fat. So when you think of what can you put on your plate, you know, and, and your physician has about 30 seconds to give some kind of a recommendation to a patient, 
they need to tell them how much meat can be put on the plate. So what we are recommending is, in order to meet those recommendations, the piece of meat on the patient's plate shouldn't exceed three ounces. Three ounces looks like a deck of playing cards or the palm of a, a woman's hand. And that should be the portion of meat, and the meat should be well-trimmed. And choose the leaner cuts of meat that don't have the marbling. And, of course, you can use some oil in preparation to make the food tasty, to use a little oil in dressings. And the oils could be unsaturated, and there are several on the market, and depending on what people like to choose, if you like to have monounsaturated fats, go for the canola oil, the olive oil, the almond oil. And if you like polyunsaturated fat, you'll be choosing corn oil, soybean oil. But all these oils that I've been mentioning also have other fatty acids. It's not that canola oil is just monounsaturated fat. It does have a little bit of polyunsaturated, which is the linoleic acid, but it also has an omega-3 fatty acid called the alpha-linolenic acid. And most of it is, of course, monounsaturated fat, which is the oleic acid. Now, if you look at something like coconut oil, over 90% of it is saturated fat. So it's also solid at room temperature, and you find cuisines from the tropics, you know, the Thai cuisine has a lot, uses a lot of coconut oil. Certain Indian cuisines also use coconut oil. So you will find that in restaurants as well as in the store that you, you find coconut oil being used in certain products. And then you have fats like peanut oil. Peanut oil has a lot more saturated fat than canola oil or safflower oil, but it also has a significant amount of monounsaturated fat. So if people want to cook Chinese food with a little bit of peanut oil, they can still do that, but you have to keep in mind that it does have more saturated fat than corn oil or canola oil. I have a recollection of a rhesus monkey study done many years ago where peanut oil was fairly atherogenic. I guess there's been some news lately about monosaturated oils, and I wonder if you could uh, help clarify what the uh, confusion in the media is. Yeah, sure. You know, most people, when the research comes out, the Mediterranean style of eating is helpful, and people immediately think of, oh, Mediterranean diets have a lot of olive oil, so olive oil must be good, and olive oil is high in monounsaturated fat. But I think people have to understand that a Mediterranean diet also has more fruit, more vegetables, more whole grain. It has more fish, less animal food. So Mediterranean diet is not just olive oil. It's a composition of all the foods that I mentioned. And a monounsaturated fat does lower total and LDL cholesterol when you replace the saturated fat in the diet. So when you also when you compare it to carbohydrate, monounsaturated fat will decrease triglycerides and increase HDL cholesterol. It's important to know what the lipid profile of the patient is. If they have high triglyceride levels, then you would not ask the patient to eat too much carbohydrate. And here, monounsaturated fat would be beneficial. And we've shown this through a landmark study called DELTA, Diet Effects on Lipoproteins and Thrombogenic Activity. It's fine to include monounsaturated fat when you're trying to get rid of some of the saturated fat in the diet, and it's fine to add monounsaturated when a person has, you know, with a metabolic syndrome, high triglycerides and low HDL, 
you don't want them to have too much carbohydrates. You'd rather give them more monounsaturated fat. Sure, that makes sense. Let's go back to the question about trans fatty acids. Is there an easy way to help physicians have something to tell patients about how to identify trans fatty acids? And then uh, I also want to ask you about shellfish and what the current thinking is regarding fatty acids from shellfish. Sure. Trans fatty acids have been associated with increased risk for coronary artery disease because they raise LDL cholesterol and they lower the HDL cholesterol. And, you know, the rules for uh, packaging and for manufacturers, you know, what they can put on the label, a lot of cookies nowadays appear to have zero trans fat. But what the consumer has to know is to look at the ingredient list. If the ingredient list includes partially hydrogenated fat, it means that the product does have trans fat. When the label says zero trans fat, all it means is that because of the law, the manufacturer can say that if that one serving of the product has less than half a gram of trans fat, they can label it as zero fat. But say, for instance, the person eats four cookies, and if each of them has 0.4 grams of trans fat, you end up with 1.6 grams of trans fat, which is a lot of trans fat. People have to be very careful in reading the ingredient list. Make sure there's no partially hydrogenated fat. If there is, then you have to limit the number of servings you consume. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host. Our guest today is Dr. Wahida Karmali, who's the Director of Nutrition at the Irving Institute for Clinical and Translational Research at Columbia University Medical Center in New York. We're discussing the so-called good fats and bad fats associated with cardiovascular disease. So, Dr. Karmali, what about shellfish? Shrimp, lobster, if you compare shrimp to beef or chicken, Three ounces of chicken has about 75 milligrams of cholesterol, and so does beef. But it has a lot of fat in it, and if you don't remove the skin of the chicken, it'll contribute a lot more fat. And chicken fat is about 33% saturated fat, and beef fat is around 46% saturated. So when you compare it to, say, shrimp, three ounces of shrimp will have about 146 milligrams of cholesterol. But three ounces of shrimp is also 15 large shrimp. And the shrimp is very low in fat. So it's really not of concern when you think of, is it a good fat or a bad fat? It's all very low in fat. And seafood fat is actually very low in saturated fat. It's only 17% saturated fat. It can give a little bit of the omega-3 fatty acids, but it's not substantial in shellfish. If you look at lobster, you know, a three-ounce piece of lobster has about 90 milligrams of cholesterol, and it's very low in fat. And it's fine to consume shrimp and lobster so long as you don't cook it in butter or, you know, make scampi and, or saute it in butter. As long as you don't do that, it's really fine to have steamed shrimp or steamed lobster and use some kind of a dipping sauce, which is not made with any butter but you can use olive oil, lemon juice, or just some cocktail sauce. What do you think about the use of plant stanols, substituting plant stanols for standard margarines, for example? Yeah, we have very good evidence that plant stanols and sterols, there are like over 100 studies that have shown 
that they have a significant effect in lowering LDL cholesterol by 14%. So it's a very good choice. You know, it gives you the added effect of lowering cholesterol. So even if a person is on a statin, it gives you a further reduction in LDL cholesterol. If patients do have high cholesterol levels, you can look at the National Cholesterol Education Program guidelines, and in addition to lowering saturated fat and trans fat and cholesterol, adding stenol, plant stenol, sterol esters, like two grams per day, will give you a further reduction. And But it's important that when physicians are talking to their patients, they tell them about the calories in these breads that do have the plant stenols and sterols because they are caloric. And if you don't substitute it with some other fat source, the person can gain weight. You know, for every extra 100 calories you consume, either as fat or any other macronutrient, you can gain 10 pounds at the end of the year. So your patient can come back and say, oh, doc, you asked me to have this tungstenol spread, and now I'm gaining weight. So it's very important that they cut back on the calories or substitute it for some other fat source. Very interesting. For my last question, do you have any thoughts about plant stanols versus plant sterols? There was a little cloud over plant sterols because of the finding of plant sterols within atheromas, and that caused some concern over whether maybe plant stanols would be a better choice. If you look at plant stanols, once you consume it, 100% of the stanol is excreted. So you don't absorb any stanol. But when you consume a product with a sterol ester, then once it gets into the gut wall, it breaks into the fatty acid and the sterol. Uh, the fatty acid is used for energy, and part of the sterol is absorbed. The biggest concern would be for a person who has cytosterolemia, which is a very rare condition, which causes atherosclerosis, and, you know, it's a person has to avoid all sources of fat. You know, some of the recent concerns about the effect of sterols and endothelial function I think we still have to, we don't have any conclusive evidence, but I think we should continue to look for that to see how the science is evolving. And I think the best advice I can give is when a patient has this question, it's important to discuss with their physician. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your insights. We've been talking with Dr. Wahida Karmali about dietary fats and cardiovascular disease. Dr. Karmali, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.